Everybody glad you're here. I thank God for you. I love you. Those joining us online, man, welcome. If you're here for the first time, we're, we're delighted that God has brought you and you caught us on the front end of a new teaching series called Idols. We're gonna talk about our idols, my idols and your idols. You see, uh, when it comes to idols, God has a no-compete clause. I mean, in business, you gotta be careful. You gotta pay special attention to any no-compete clause. From God's perspective, no competition allowed. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Now, the great thing about God's no-compete clause, it carries an unbreakable promise. If you sign your life away on the dotted line to God, he makes his huge promise to rescue you out of any difficult and desperate situation. I mean, have you ever daydreamed about that? Have you ever fantasized about someone somehow rescuing your marriage? Do you have a, a friend or a family member who needs real rescue? Maybe you need rescue from an addiction. Maybe, um, maybe you fantasized. I know there was a period of my life when I did. I fantasized about someone somehow rescuing, rescuing me, me and Debbie, out of our financial problems, out of debt, away from credit cards. Where do you need rescue. And now here's the deal. More than your need is God's promise. You know how he rescues? He works everything together for the good. You know how he rescues? You know how he's capable of rescuing you in any situation? He is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine. I mean, you can turn to people, but with men, things, these things are impossible. But with God, the God of rescue, all things are possible. And so God writes this no-compete clause in the simplest terms possible so he can offer you rescue. Here's the clause from the Lord. If you're gonna turn to the Lord with all your heart, no holding back, no reservation, no hesitation, no restrictions, no restraints, if you're gonna turn to the Lord with all your heart, you must get rid of your idols. Make a commitment to the Lord and serve only him. Then, 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 he will rescue you. Um, this was a big deal to Jesus. He spent much of his ministry time, much of his teaching time, trying to redirect hearts just to sell out to God and, and do no competition. Nothing competes for my loyalty to the Lord. Nothing competes for my love to the Lord. He is number one in my life. In fact, Jesus said, do you know what the number one little G God is that gets between you and a relationship with a capital G God? Success. Jesus said, here's God's bottom line. The idol of success is a soul killer. And he wasn't messing around when he said that because our soul is everything to us. He wanted us to know how detrimental chasing the elusive God of success, little G God, can be to our souls because my soul, your soul, our, your soul is everything to you. You are like not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. And, and your soul is the most important part of who you are. Your life, your very life is in your soul. 
Let me explain just briefly by taking you into the creation of the very first human being. Here we go. Word of God, book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, chapter two, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Now, previous, the body, it's just lifeless, but God breathes the breath of life into man's nostrils, filling his lungs, and look what he becomes. Not a living person, not a living man, not a living body, but a living soul. Your life is in your soul. Your thoughts live in your soul. Your emotions live in your soul. On the seat, on the throne of your soul is your will. You make decisions in your soul and they either benefit your soul or they damage your soul. So Jesus, he wants, to, he wants to teach this lesson to his guys, his dearest friends. There's 12 of them. He gets his crew together and he wants this lesson to be absolutely unforgettable. He knows it's going to be a hard lesson. He knows it's going to be extremely uncomfortable because every one of these guys was born and bred to chase success, just like me, just like you. I mean, I wanted to be known. I wanted to be seen as important. I wanted it Truthfully, I wanted it all about me. So I want to join these guys. You know where Jesus takes them? Gets his crew together. You know where he takes them? He takes them to what was in that day success central. Now, the name of the town was Caesarea Philippi. I've been there a number of times with people from our church. It's where the gates of hell were. And the people in that day and time, Jesus' day, they were not alone. When Jesus took his guys there, the place was crowded Standing room only, people came from far and wide to worship the God of success. His name was Pan. He was kind of a gross-looking God. The, the, the images. Did we show the gates of hell earlier? Can I have that picture again? Yeah. Uh, the, on the right is where they would worship, and you can see those niches. There are still idols there of Pan. Half goat, half human, all naked, all Gross. But the gates of hell is that cave. And they believed that was the entrance into hell. And so they wanted to call this God from the underworld up. And so they did worship. They would get drunk so that their worship would be completely uninhibited. And they would pray and they would praise and they would sing and they would ask the God Pan to come up and give them success. Give our herd success. Bring success to our flocks. Give us financial success. Give success to our family and our marriages. Give our business success. And it was a wild, wicked, frenzied worship. And so Jesus brings his guys and they are super uncomfortable. They ain't never seen nothing like this before. And they, they think Jesus has lost his mind bringing them there. But while they watch this drunken orgy of wild and wicked worship, Jesus probes the depths of their hearts with this question. He's, you know, it's like, you see all that going on over there? What about you? What about you guys? And here's the question he asked. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, get success in his business, get success in his family, get success in his finance? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world at the price of his soul, his own soul? You're selling your soul, you're losing your soul. What could a man offer to buy back his soul once he has lost it? That, that question wasn't 
just for them way back then. That's for us because Jesus, your soul is the most important thing about you. That's where your life is in your soul. And you're going to lose your soul. You're going to damage your soul. You're going to shrink your soul up for nothing if you chase after the little G God of success. Now that, that was the most important soul question ever asked by anyone because it was asked by the most important person who has ever graced this planet, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, he was not some deep thinking philosopher. He was not some uh, religious expert. He was not a powerful politician. Jesus is God. He was God in a flesh and blood body. He was the God man. He was the God who created the human soul. And he's saying, you guys, you, you look just like that. You may chase after a different kind of success. And maybe that's what he would say to us. I mean, maybe you're not drunk and dancing in front of idols and calling out to a cave. But your success might look like the size of a paycheck or the kind of a job or a degree or kind of house. And, it just, and, and your chase just makes you use your credit cards way too much until you can't pay the card off at the end of the month. But what would you give in exchange for your soul? Now, that, that's the ultimate soul question. But to tell you the truth, Jesus sets it up. He is in this intentional, strategic interaction with these guys. He's probing them with a soul question, but to set up the soul question, he has two preliminary questions. So as the wild worship is going on over there, people watching these drunk guys sing and stumble around and pray to Pan, he asks this question. Here it is, first question. Who are the people, these guys out here, they're going crazy, other people. Who do people say that I am? I mean, what's the word on the street? About me. What's the rumor mill churning out about me? And the guys say, you know, it's kind of crazy, but some people say you're like John the Baptist or some of the heavy hitters from the Old Testament like Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the heroic prophets. I, it's all good, Lord. It's way off target because you are God, but that's what people are saying. And then Jesus pressed in a little closer to their souls on the soul question with this question, Jesus asked, well, who do you say that I am? I mean, this was a defining moment in his ministry. He has one year left. He's been in ministry and living, doing life with these guys for two years. He's like, you guys have seen the miracles. You've seen the blind gain sight. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen the deaf begin to hear. You've seen it all. And you've heard my teaching. And more than that, you have been with me 24-7 for two years. Now, there's going to be one more year. One more year in his ministry life. And he's going to spend that whole year on a beeline to Jerusalem and the cross and an empty tomb. So he says to them, who do you? On the basis of all you've experienced of me and with me, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he speaks for the whole group. He says, you, you are God in the flesh. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. As those words fall from Peter's lips, Jesus doesn't blink an eye. He doesn't flinch. He doesn't hesitate. He fully embraces Peter's declaration. He's like, dude, Peter, you got that right. And you got it right from my father in heaven. He didn't pick that up off the street. You didn't ring that, read that in some book. You didn't hear it in the locker room. You got that belief 
that I am God, you got that from my Father in heaven. And um, those two questions were, were meant just to dig into their hearts as personally as possible. In fact, I've, I want to give you that text again, the ultimate question on the soul. And I've tried to write it as personally as possible and as closely to the Greek as I could. Here we go. The word Jesus said, what good is it for you to be as successful as possible? Have it all but lose your soul in the process. I mean, once your soul is lost, what could you possibly give to get it back? The lesson Jesus had for them, because he wanted to redirect their lives, it's a lesson he has for us. And he was just trying to make it plain, making success, your little G God puts your soul in deadly peril. Your soul is the most important thing about you. So where your thoughts live. It's the part of you that can connect with God. It's the eternal part of himself. It's the, your soul is the breath of God in you. It is eternal. And so it ha, your soul has the capacity to connect in real relationship with the eternal God. It is the most important thing about you. And chasing the little G God of success will kill your soul. And Jesus is about to unfold for them three soul truths. And he does it by burying the truths in a bit of a riddle. Here's the riddle. Jesus says, for anyone, anyone, that's you. Anyone is me. Anyone is any person. For anyone who keeps his life for himself. That's the definition of success. It's adding value to yourself. He said, that person's going to lose his soul. And anyone who loses or surrenders his life for me, that's significant. You've made the transition from trying to be successful to trying to be significant because now you're about not adding value to yourself, but adding value to God and to other people. Anyone who loses or surrenders his life for me, for me, shall find his soul again and forever. So here are the three soul truths that Jesus buries in this riddle. Number one, every person has an eternal soul. That's how you are made in the image of God. You've got his breath in you. Truth number two, a person can lose their soul. Worst thing that can happen. I mean, you don't have to feed your soul. You don't have to care for yourself. You don't have to build up your soul. You don't have to grow your soul. In fact, it can shrivel away to nothing. You can neglect, you can ignore, you can lose your soul. Worst thing that can happen. Most people in the world lose their souls. You're here. It's evidence, your presence, that you're doing something to build your soul. But here's, you see, here's the good news. Soul truth number three. A soul can be saved. A person's soul can be saved. And so, I, I know if I ask you right now the condition of your finances, you could, you, you could tell me how much you got and you know how you're a saver and uh, the, the investments you've made. Or maybe if I ask you about the condition of your relationship, you could talk to me about your parenting, your children, your marriage, your family, your friends. For I ask you about the condition of your health, you could say, man, this is, what, this is the exercise I do. This is the regime I'm on. This is my, the health food that I eat. And please 
keep eating all the health food because I want all the spam for myself. But no, here's the question. All that stuff pales is nothing compared to this. What is the condition of your soul? Has it shriveled away? Is it damaged? Is it growing? Is it strong? What's the condition of your soul? And I think I can help you answer that question for yourself by asking another question. What's the difference between success and significance? I referenced this earlier with the text, the words of Jesus. Success is adding value to yourself. It's all about me. And I've been there. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be approved. I wanted to be uh, respected. I wanted to, I wanted to achieve greatly. And it made me a jerk. And it made me angry. And it made me frustrated. But that, sadly, was me. And then there was a time in my life when I called time out. This ain't working. I'm not going to go for success anymore. I'm going to go for significance. And significance is adding value to God and to other people. Now your life, my life, is on a completely different track. Higher. More effective. More abundant. My dad, um, my dad was a successful small businessman. He had a grocery store, he had a meat market, had a locker plant, and had a slaughterhouse. They would take beef and pork uh, off the hoof and cut them up and put them in uh, your freezer. And he, he did a quite well. But my dad always put significance, adding value to God and others before success. In fact, here's an example. 45 years ago, a 15-year-old girl called my dad for an interview. He, she didn't want a job. She knew my dad. Uh, her name was Carla. Their family was friends of our family. We all worshiped way out in the country, out in the sticks. In fact, to get to our little bitty country church, you had to cross two Fords. I'm not talking about cars. You know what a Ford is? You guys are city slickers. It's when you drive across creeks or streams that don't have bridges. You just go right through the water. That's how you got to our little country church. And Carla, she didn't have a driver's license, so her mom, Esteline, brings her over to my mom and dad's house. And my mom and, I mean, my dad and Carla sit down together. And Carla says to my dad, um, I love our church and I love my friends. And my, my friends care about me. And when, when I ask my friends to come to church with me, if, when they find out it's way out in the country somewhere, they just say no. Bill, I think if we had a church here in town that my friends would say yes and come with me to church. Oh my gosh, it lit a fire in my dad's belly. At that time, my dad was 50 years old. And he and my mom talked and he and my mom prayed. In fact, they drove from central Illinois all the way to southeastern Tennessee to a university where they enrolled in a week-long course in how to plant a new church. They prayed their way home as they drove. When they got home, my, my dad recruited a couple of dozen friends and they started a new church in Paris, Illinois uh, in the town dance hall. Saturday nights, square dancing. Sunday morning, worship. But from that dance hall, their souls came alive. And that dance hall church evolved. They bought land. They built a beautiful worship facility. They built other buildings. And now hundreds of people in Paris, Illinois, call Lake Ridge Christian their church home. 
because dad got all fired up about doing something significant with his one and only life. In fact, here's a lesson I learned from my dad. When you go after significance, when you get here, if you put significance first, you get success too. Isn't that what Jesus promised? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and he'll add everything. All these things will be added to your life. If you put significance first, you get success too. But if you put success first, you never, never, never get the significance. So now Jesus has done the question. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You are God in the flesh. Jesus said, right on, Peter. You are right on target. You got that thought from God. You got that belief from God. Look at all those people out there. What would you sell your soul for? What would you give in exchange for your soul? Look at those guys. And then Jesus, he drills down into their hearts with a teaching on ultimate significance that leads to ultimate success. Here's the word of God. Standing there at the gates of hell, Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, submit to an ordeal of suffering. What the heck? No way. That wasn't on their radar. Now their mouths are open. What is he saying? Is this, a, is this symbolic? Is this a metaphor? It's necessary for us to go to Jerusalem. I will submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders. No way. Those were the most respected. Those were the most honored. Those were the most recognized. Those were the most successful. I will submit to suffering, an ordeal of suffering. We know what that was like. They beat his face beyond recognition. They forcibly pulled his beard out by the roots. They flayed the flesh off of his back. They pressed a crown of thorns onto his brow. And they spiked him to a criminal's cross. Submit, surrender to an ordeal. Choose. This is the significance. It's adding value to God. He's doing God's plan. He's going God's way. He's living God's will. It's for the benefit of others because by his shed blood, our sins are forgiven. By his death on the cross, we have the hope of heaven because here's the significant stuff, the ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders. I will be killed. And then here's the success, the ultimate success. And then on the third day, be raised to life. That's a path he was cutting for them. It's a path of significance and getting success on the other end. It's a path he's cutting for us. Do the significant first and the the success comes. Well, Peter, he can't hardly shut up another second. He physically takes hold of Jesus and pulls him away from the group. The text says that Peter took Jesus aside and told him, you better not ever, I better not ever hear you say that stuff again. You better stop talking like that. And he said, God would never let that happen to you. Now, Jesus turns on Peter and it kind of looks like the home plate umpire and the baseball manager going at it together. And Jesus just gets up into Peter's face and he said, get away from me, Satan. You're in my way. I'm going to the cross and the empty tomb. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to the right hand of God. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You're in my way because you think like everyone else and not like God. 
Man, I can feel Peter because I've been there. You know, Peter is focused on the here and now, the temporary. He is focused on avoiding suffering, avoiding loss, avoiding grief, avoiding death. That's not success. I know I've been, I've been all about me. I, I, I know I've had my times wrestling with God about what I wanted and about where he wanted to lead me. Can you imagine, Peter? I mean, just moments earlier, his chest is puffed up because Jesus has heaped the praise on him. Peter, you are so awesome. That is awesome belief, and you got that belief right from God. But now Peter is being publicly ridiculed, severely condemned in the harshest way possible. Peter, you are Satan, and you're in my way. Get out of my way. You think like everybody else. I've thought like everybody else. I'm ashamed to say it, but I've thought like everybody else and it killed my soul. Thank God we have a, a good shepherd who's re, who restores our soul, gets our soul to grow, makes our souls strong, makes our souls vibrant and alive. And one of the guys standing there, um, there's the youngest guy there, he's a teenage guy. His name is John and he would later, having heard this interchange between Jesus and Peter, he would later, later write these words, it's your foolish pride. It's your foolish pride. You're, you're wanting to be controlling, wanting for it to be all about you. Your foolish pride comes from this world, not from God. It's from this world. And so do your selfish desires and your desire to have everything you see. None of this comes from the Father. Can you see Peter there with his mouth open? Jesus just called him Satan. Told him to get out of my way. So Jesus does, it's so Jesus, but he does to me the most amazing thing. To, to, to redirect the trajectory of Peter's thinking from chasing after success to, to living a significant life, Jesus offers him an invitation. Here's how it begins. Jesus said, those who want to come with me, who want to, who want to come with me, I read that this week and my soul came alive. My soul cried out to Jesus, Jesus, I want to come with you. My life is worse than nothing apart from you. I just want to do life with you, Jesus. And I wondered what would happen to you when I showed that to you. What your soul would, would cry out. Do you, do you want to come? you want to come with Jesus? Before you answer... Here's the full invitation. Those who want to come with me must say no to the things they want. Say no to success. And pick up their crosses. I mean, live a life of significance. Spend your life adding value to God and to other people and follow me. A week uh, before my dad passed away, uh, Deb and I were in, in Paris at my mom and dad's house. And um, it was nighttime and... Um, I was holding my dad's hand. I mean, the house is full of medical gear. We're in the living room and the hospital bed. The oxygen tanks um, are there. And 
As I stand by my dad, I know he's awake, but his eyes are closed, and I know he's in significant discomfort. And I'm, I just think to myself as I pray over my dad, I just think, I wonder what dad is thinking. He's not talking. His eyes are closed, he's awake. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what my dad is thinking. Well, it was getting late, and most of you know that if I drive after dark, I turn into a pumpkin. And so we went to the hotel, and some of you are jealous that I've stayed in a hotel in Paris, Illinois. Um, the next morning, first thing, we're back at my mom and dad's house, Deb and I, and I'm at my dad's bedside. I'm holding his hand again, and my dad opens his eyes, and he looks up at me and says, Dave, you know what I was thinking? I said, what, Dad? He said, David, I, I, I was thinking that if you had been here earlier, you would help me get dressed. I said, Dad, you know I would. I love you. He said, I love you too. And he closed his eyes. And um, I, the, I talked to the hospice worker that day, and she said he probably has another two weeks to live. So we came home. I had to uh, preach and um, on Wednesday, June 7th, my, my dad passed away. But the evening before, late in the evening, before my mom went to bed, she was reading scripture to my dad. And uh, she was reading 2 John. And when she got finished, my dad said, turn the page and read my favorite verse. And here's what my mom read in 3 John to my dad. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And then my dad asked, Nadine, turn to Isaiah and read my second favorite verse. And here's what she read from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah speaking, I am here and with me are the children the Lord has given me. Some hours later in the wee uh, hours of June 7th, my dad's heart stopped. But Bill Clark did not die. His soul, his eternal soul was as vibrant, as alive, as, as full of joy as it was the very first moment that he and his mom and dad and his little brother and his little sister walked down the aisle of that country church, gave their lives to Christ and were baptized as a family. My dad spent his life cutting meat, selling food. But first, he had his soul right with Jesus so that when my dad's eyes closed in death, his soul flew out of that room, away from that hospital bed, out of that house, all the way to paradise. His eternal soul, he was in the presence of the eternal Jesus. So, how do we build a soul like that, live a significant life? My mom was reading my dad the word of God. That's how we do it. We build our soul up by reading scripture. I'm a big advocate of memorizing scripture. This, mor this morning, I'm memorizing Psalm 20 now. And I thought verses six and seven were pertinent for this message. The Lord, it's the Lord. The Lord gives victory 
to his anointed, those devoted to significance. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. That's what God does, how he rescues our souls. But then, you know, the other thing about my soul, it's burdened for my mom. Grieving a loss of her husband of 73 years. She told me that she got the insurance, life insurance check this week. And maybe you'd think, well, that's good. Pay some bills, put some money in savings. But it wrecked my mom. It was like, I'd rather have him. No amount of money. You know, take it back. I want him. So I, I unburdened my soul for my mom. I unburden my soul through prayer. And you can get the weight off your soul through prayer. I, my soul is burdened for everyone in this region who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior because their soul's in trouble. Unless somebody, unless we do something about it. So I unburden my soul about every heart in every home that they discover the loving kindness of God. I unburden my soul by praying for people who are far from Jesus. Read the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, unburden your soul with prayer. And then remember what significance is. It is adding value to God and other people we serve. And so we're gonna do something today to practice this, put us on the significant side of things. Um, we're gonna do something we've never done before. We, we do love offerings every quarter, every three months, and this is that time. But this love offering, here's what we've never done before. This is going to our dollar club if you're unfamiliar with our church, uh, when we come and worship, when we leave, we drop a dollar for each member of our family in the green buckets. Now, if somebody's house burns down or somebody is unemployed for months and months and they're behind on their mortgage, there's not much I can do by myself or you could do. But together as a big church, we can make an impact for people who are hurting. I want to tell you, right now, uh, lots of people are in serious need, need lots of help. And so today, all of our love offering is gonna to go to our dollar club to help people in this church who, are, who have found themselves in catastrophic financial situations. And I know not everybody came prepared to give, and I know how it works, that as the next week or so goes by, you'll send in checks, you'll give online, and I say thank you ahead of time because I love to see Central Christian Church making a difference for the people who worship here who are hurting. Um, and so our servers, if, if you would come and receive our love offering, I, I'm gonna pray over you guys right now. Would you bow with me? And then receive this worship song. Lord, we love you and we thank God for this opportunity to help people who are hurting or have found themselves unexpectedly in desperate need. Lord, it's not just that you rescue, you can use us to rescue so receive these offerings and bless those who give, Lord. Lord Jesus, we answer your call. We accept your invitation into the significant life. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.